0: And to tell my testimony, uh, it has to start with my parents who, uh, by the grace of God, um, got sober uh, after lineages uh, and legacies of alcoholism on both family trees. We like to find those happy moments of history and capitalize them and use them as fodder to paint a picture of what the world is like.
1: As Americans, we're preparing to celebrate the Thanksgiving holiday, a holiday that commemorates the coming together of Native Americans and colonists to share a meal. It's also a time to reflect on gratitude, which is an important practice we should participate in year round. Because of our history with the Native American people, I pondered this question. What happened after the first Thanksgiving? And how do we move away from Apathy and awaken compassion and concern for our Native American brothers and sisters. We'll explore these things and more while getting real immersed in truth. This episode is a hard but necessary conversation that includes substance abuse and suicide. Welcome to the Grit Podcast, getting real, immersed in truth, intersecting hard conversations with the gospel. We seek and speak the truth about what's going on around us. I am your host, Robrina Reddle, and this is episode 11. My guest today is Alex Russo, a pastor and son of a white, multi ethnic mother and Lakota Sioux father. Alex is also a volunteer at an anti-sex trafficking organization called I've Got a Name. Today, we talk about his faith, heritage, and we get a glimpse of how COVID-19 is affecting a neighboring reservation. Alex's passion to love all people and make sure no one is left unseen is evident in this discussion. Okay, Alex, thank you so much for joining us today.
0: Yeah, thank you so much.
1: Well, uh, why don't you give me a little background about who you are? Well, one, I'm gonna say that uh, Alex and I met as, uh, initially as volunteers for, uh, I've got a name, an anti-sex trafficking organization that Alex is a volunteer for and uh, that I am on staff with. And um, Alex is also a pastor at middle cross church and then uh why don't you go ahead and give us a little more information about you give us a little bit of your background and um just tell tell us a little bit about alex
0: yeah yeah awesome uh so i uh i'm born and raised uh in lincoln nebraska uh where we both live currently uh and uh love lincoln uh, love being here my wife Alyssa and i we haven't had a good reason to leave yet Um, my, uh, my parents, uh, were not from, uh, Nebraska originally. My mom was from Oregon, uh, grew up there for a bit and then spent the rest of her life, uh, kind of here. My dad originally was born on the Cheyenne River Reservation in central South Dakota. Uh, my family, we are a part of the Lakota Sioux tribe. Um, and my dad, when he was a little boy, uh, my grandma, very young, um, toddler, my grandma looked around and said, this is no place to raise two boys um, the, on the reservation. And so she made the bold decision to leave the reservation and go to uh, move to Spearfish, South Dakota, north of the Black Hills, uh, beautiful little town. Uh, if I had to move anywhere, I might move there. Uh, <laughs> it's, a, it's a great little place. And to
1: Spearfish, actually.
0: You have? Okay. Yeah. Yes, so. yeah.
1: Savannah yeah. had a friend that moved from uh, Nebraska to uh, spearfish and we took a little three-state trip and so we went there so she could visit with her little friend.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. It's a great little town, great vibe. There's like this big giant park in the center of town that like everybody's yes. always out doing. Yeah, it's great. Yes. The fish hatchery. Yes, okay. yeah, we went to that. Yes. It's awesome. Yeah, we go there a lot. Um, that's where Alyssa and I honeymooned and it was so good. Uh yeah, so moved there and then eventually uh, was able, they moved down to Lincoln and born here. My parents met uh, together through Alcoholics Anonymous. They were both getting sober. That's how they met, because uh, they're both alcoholics. And it's going to Alcoholics Anonymous. <laughs> uh, they, uh, when they met, um, it was not long after they met that uh, I, was, uh, I was on the way. Um, and so little Alex came crashing in the world uh, and, uh, yeah, I grew up here, uh, as in, uh, in Lincoln and, and I, what we're going to be talking about, I think a lot today is, uh, our, our native Americans and, uh, and kind of my experience in, in that world as being a, a native myself and different ministry that our church has done with, uh, some local, uh, reservations. And it was really interesting growing up in Lincoln. I, we didn't do a lot, uh in the way of engaging in tribal affairs and, and cultural realities and those pieces. Um, because for my dad, having left all of that, there was kind of a sour taste in his mouth. So my grandma left, there was a bit of uh, kind of abandonment that I think mm-hmm. a lot of our family on the reservation felt in that way. And so whenever my dad would go back to the reservation, he would get called apple, you know, red on the outside, white on the inside uh-huh.
1: Those kinds
0: of, uh, yeah, those kinds of things. And so... Uh, we
1: have names like that, too, in our yeah, culture.
0: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So uh, there was that uh, kind of dynamic. And so it was. it's only been these last few years, uh, kind of maybe six, seven years, where uh, my parents, my siblings, I have four younger siblings, um, aged 15 to 22, um, and our family we have begun to say hey this is actually a big part of our story and our identity and we really need to take this more serious and Mm -hmm. have had a lot more experiences and that's been really cool um and then seeing how a lot of that experience has actually uh made our faith our uh choice to follow jesus and be followers of jesus come to life Mm -hmm. all really cool so
1: yeah 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 one of the reasons i wanted to talk to you is because um I do know about your heritage. And also, well, first of all, Alex is a pretty awesome guy. He's a really great communicator. He's a great listener, Uh, very intuitive. I have noticed Uh, you pick up on, very emotionally intelligent. You pick up on feelings very quickly. And um, that's one thing I was really impressed about with you. And then when we had gotten together outside of our volunteering, when I got together with you and your wife and your new baby and um, and my husband, and I got to know you even better and more of your story. And I thought this is a very interesting story that I wanted to share um, with our listeners, just your whole journey and all of who you are and what that means to you. So um, yeah. Your background already, because you already shared some things I already didn't know about <laughs> your parents, which I thought was pretty amazing, and, um, and that they are still together, and, you know, still thriving. That's a yeah. story.
0: Yeah, I mean, that is, when people ask me to, you know, in Christian circles, often people say, tell your testimony, you know. <laughs> uh, and to tell my testimony, uh, it has to start with my parents who, uh, by the grace of God, um, got sober Mm -hmm. uh, after lineages uh, and legacies of alcoholism on both family trees, Mm -hmm. Um, especially my father's uh, side, um, just deeply ingrained, and that's connected to Native Americans in general. So Mm -hmm. they got sober, and then it was, I was about four or five years old when we, ended up going to a church. And then a few months later, my parents um, decided to give their lives to Jesus and say, yeah, we want to follow Jesus for the rest of forever. And our the, our home life before that was pretty rough. There was a lot of fighting and tension and throwing things and packing bags, a lot of packing bags And mm-hmm. uh, before that moment. But it was after that moment where my parents gave their lives to Jesus. Uh, I have distinct memories of as a little boy going, whoa, things are very different now. Um, everything has changed and looks a lot different because there was still a lot of fighting and, and that sort of thing, but the packing bags stopped and we mm. started spending time together as a family around the table, reading the Bible, eating meals together. Uh, there was a distinct shift in our home. And mm. so when people say, tell your story about how you started to follow Jesus, Um, because that's how people sound, I guess, uh, (laughs) uh, it has to start with, well, the, all those very kind things you said about emotional intelligence and communicating and those pieces. I mean, I wouldn't have what I have if it wasn't for the opportunities that I've been given, um, that, that people in my family before me have not been.
1: Right. Boy, that's beautiful. Good job, mom and dad.
0: (laughs) They're the best. (laughs) (laughs) They're really the best.
1: Um, Okay. Um, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about a few things. Um, I want to talk to you about one thing is uh, how we shifted as a country and our look at history and how now we understand a lot of history that we were taught in school has been skewed to one side Basically, us versus them is kind of how history was taught. And um, there was usually a good guy and a bad guy. And the bad guy was usually the other guy. And the other is non-white. That's usually the the teaching of history. That goes back to movies, the old black and white movies, Mm -hmm. Westerns that everyone loves, you know, Mm -hmm. just, just... it's just ingrained in our society. Well, one of the things that I find interesting is we are recording this around what was, and some people still call Columbus Day, Mm -hmm. uh, but as I I recognize it now as Indigenous Peoples Day, Um, and we will be dropping this, it will be available close to Thanksgiving. So um, I want to touch on a couple of things that has to do with that. So one, let's talk about Indigenous People's Day and um, who Christopher Columbus really was. Well, one, let me tell you about this book that I am reading, which I will put in the show notes. And it is called An Indigenous People's History of the United States by Roxanne Dunbar Ortiz. And this book is fascinating and bewildering all at the same time because there's a lot of things in here that is disturbing um, that has to do with our history a lot of genocide and um, propping up of who America says she is to who she really was Um, so anyway it's a book I recommend though it's very good I'm I'm like on page 79 it's already blown my mind uh, like I said, though, I'll put that in the show notes. So, anyway, Alex, why don't you give me your take on Indigenous Peoples Day as not Columbus Day anymore?
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, the first thing I want to caveat, and this caveat will go for this whole interview, is that I uh, I'm just a guy uh, who. I have some experiences uh, growing up in Lincoln, not growing up on a reservation, still being a member of the Lakota Sioux Tribe, um, uh, having different sort of experiences, getting into this conversation, uh, learning a lot of different things over the last few years, doing a lot of research myself, uh, but I'm not an expert, but I'm not an expert. So I, I, I'm not an expert on Columbus or, or Thanksgiving or uh, Indigenous Peoples Day or Native American uh, history in general, So if you're listening, go read that book uh, (laughs) to make sure that everything I say stands up against history.
1: Well, Uh, as as I like to say, when I give my experience, I'm only speaking from my experience as a Black woman. I'm not speaking for every Black person. So I give that same courtesy to Alex from his experience.
0: Exactly. So if you're listening, uh, listeners, yeah start getting involved in this conversation and we hope that maybe I can invite you to be a part of this with me uh, as we're all learning. But Columbus Day, uh, it is interesting, as you said, the, the, the way history is remembered. Um, Like I talked about with my family and uh, we, we all stand on the backs of other people people Mm. who have gone before us. Um, But some of the people whose backs we stand on are standing on dead bodies. Mm. Um, And that is, the sad reality and uh i don't know how helpful it is to try to punish people that aren't alive anymore but we can shift the way that we remember them and so christopher columbus uh being glorified uh, i think is a fair way to describe him over the last um few centuries uh i think it is unfair as we look at some of the primary sources of the time. Um, I'm forgetting his name, but the priest that traveled with him, last name Macassus, um tells a lot of, uh, to, uh, speaks a lot. If you want to go uh, read more, about that would be the good place to start, is reading some of his writings and his journals uh, as primary sources. Uh, great, uh, great place to start. He details a lot about how Christopher Columbus um, yes, did an incredible thing, really. We should recognize Christopher Columbus was the first one to unite the two hemispheres. Um, and so that really was a task. Uh, a lot of it took a lot of guts and bravery and that sort of thing. And also upon, uh, upon stumbling into this hemisphere in the quote unquote, new world, new for the uh, Europeans, uh, he immediately, the first human beings that he with, first indigenous people, American people, uh, he took like five or six slaves with him. <laughs> they were kind, they like offered food and thought maybe that these, uh, that these explorers were, uh, were gods of some kind or something like that or sent from the gods. Um, and so they tried to kind of worship them and give them gifts.
1: And you're yeah. saying that these, the slaves that he took, they were uh, native.
0: Yeah, they were native, they were indigenous people. They were native people um, and, and in, in his own journals, said the these seem like they would make good servants and so he kidnapped them and left in the middle of the night and took them with him that set up a pattern for kind of how columbus was going to operate on all of his journeys uh to um to the americas so it's really interesting uh there's also this whole idea the way we talk about him we even say that he discovered the new world or he discovered america um, which i think is factually really silly because there were people living here (laughs) Like you can't, you don't discover things already found. Yeah, exactly. And from his perspective, from the European perspective, yes, they discovered um, that there was more land that they didn't know about across the, the ocean. But now, you know, decades, uh, century, yeah, centuries later, we can, a couple hundred years later, we can look back and go, oh, we don't need to talk that way anymore because we're not Europeans who had no idea. We can recognize, he didn't discover the new world. He united united the world. Mm. He opened up the possibility for the, the connected world that we have today. So that should be recognized. I don't think we should, I don't know if we should take him out of our textbooks, mm. but perhaps we should take down our statues and not celebrate a whole day named after him. That would be right. my opinion. Um, yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. Yes, I, I think, yes, you're right. We shouldn't take him out of the history book, which I feel that way about most of um, what now I would call the villains that have been looked as heroes um, of our history because the thing is you just need to know the truth about them. That that would be how you want to portray them for who they truly were and not making them into heroes when they were not. Just tell the truth about what they actually did. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Um, I, uh, oh. No, go ahead. One of my favorite quotes ever is by uh, Alexander Solzhenitsyn. There's a name, uh, he. Are you familiar with that name?
1: I am not. No.
0: So Alexander Solzhenitsyn. Uh, he wrote uh, about the, the gulag, the the sort of death camps uh, in Russia. Uh, mm. He was the one that kind of expose that reality to the world
1: okay yes i do know that. so
0: seeing a lot of evil he says something really beautiful and i i return to this quote often and pray over it and meditate on it and if only there were evil people somewhere insidiously committing evil deeds and it were necessary only to separate them from the rest of us and destroy them but the line dividing good and evil cuts through the heart of every human being and who is willing to destroy a piece of his own heart?
1: Mm. Wow. And so
0: I, I think a lot about these uh, humans in history. We go around and saying, good guy, bad guy, bad yeah. guy, bad guy, good guy, good guy, bad guy. You know, And we begin to grade people as either good or bad. But I think there's something helpful for me as I look back over history and say, the, the, there was good and bad in all of these humans' hearts. Um, the same way there is mine. And so what can I do? Mm. What can I do? Because, um, because that the, the evil that was in Christopher Columbus is inside of me too. And mm.
1: mm-hmm.
0: the capacity to do what he did to see other people as, as just useful to me, as objects for my gain, those would make good servants for me. Those people would We'd begin to see other human beings that way just because they're different from me. to mm-hmm. see them as tools. Uh, that capacity is inside of me as well. And so um, and, and a who is willing to destroy a piece of his own heart? Um, I'm not, mm-hmm. but I want to be more right. and more. And so uh, being able to see both those pieces that even though he did great things, there was also this evil helps me remember just because I do great things does not mean that that evil could, doesn't exist inside of me as well.
1: Right. So I think it actually
0: helps us teach history well and actually learn from history when we're not glorifying people and we're not villainizing them either when we're just recognizing yeah there are some things that are really important to recognize about these humans
1: yes because we're as human beings we all have the good and the bad in us
0: and
1: it's the whether or not you have the capacity to do certain things or which are you going to feed are you going to feed the good you're going to feed the bad so yeah, I, I can see that, you're right, just the, the truth of it. You just want the truth mm-hmm. and not spin it one way or another. Yep. Okay, um, another thing I, I kind of wanted to touch on was we are getting close to celebrating Thanksgiving mm-hmm. and Thanksgiving is celebrated as a beautiful time where pilgrims and Native Americans came together and shared a meal and yep. what i remember learning when i was in school is how much uh the native americans taught the pilgrims like they taught them certain things you know the corn you know how to how to plant and you know work the land and all that good stuff and then they came together and they had this meal this wonderful meal as friends yeah and then I always wonder. Well, then, what happened after that? <laughs> <laughs> like, what after the meal? Then, what happened because of the history that we know? We're like, okay, how yeah. did
0: that happen? The the story behind the first Thanksgiving is a real is a real story. There was a feast. There was a harvest feast that that had Native Americans were invited to be a part of it. Like, there we have uh, documents that record that there were. Native Americans involved in the process and eating with them. Uh, That is really interesting in that, you know, uh, that before that with different tribes, there was violence that occurred between these uh, two people groups. Um, And then afterwards, there was also violence that occurred between these people groups. So it is interesting. There is nothing recorded about why or how the Native Americans ended up as part of this feast. Uh, The Native American that taught them a lot was uh, Squanto. Uh, Good old Squanto is the kind of the hero of the story when it's romanticized and told that way. Uh, But Squanto was a slave (laughs) Uh, who had been freed. Uh, I believe, I could be wrong about this, so uh, check me, but uh, I believe he was uh, enslaved, taken over to France. And Hmm. then um, that's where he learned to speak English and whatnot, and then was brought back and freed, um, but thus was able to help the pilgrims uh, and teach them some of these different ways. Uh, so he was able, so Squanto really was the guy that, was, that did teach them all this great stuff and helped lead led them to agricultural success. Uh, but it, it, is, it is interesting that, uh, yeah, it is interesting. So there is this bright moment. And so I think that it's, it's not wrong that we celebrate Thanksgiving um, in my family, tongue in cheek, we make the joke sometimes that we call it, uh, you're welcoming day. <laughs> instead of Thanksgiving, we call it, you're welcoming, <laughs> even though it wasn't as quanto, squanto, but, uh, it's kind of fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, but it is interesting that, uh, we, as we were talking about, we like to, we like to find those happy moments of history and capitalize them and use them as fodder to paint a picture of what the world is like. You know, you, you had these benevolent Christian uh, Puritans come in and these beautiful Puritans and they were able to make peace with these people that were the other that we also in our mind colloquially know uh, became savages and were war were mongers, And so the fact that the Puritans were able to come in and, and experience peace with them in this one moment proves that that it wasn't inherently wrong for Europeans to come and uh, colonize land that was already being lived in mm. um, by other groups of people. Mm-hmm. See, it, it wasn't bad. Good things happened from it. And uh, and once again, I'm not making the claim that it was bad. I wasn't there. Um, but we can see pretty clearly what, what was resulted when you have a mass uh, uh, a mass movement of people from one distinct culture into a whole other world, uh, and, and when you have two cultures clash, one that has a high value on private property and another culture that doesn't have much, if any, conception about private property, um, you're, we're going to see some significant clash, and that's what we did see uh, between Native Americans and settlers and, and colonizers, European colonizers that came in is these colonizers said, okay, we're gonna claim this land and this is going to be our border and we're going, this is our town. When most Native American groups were uh, hunter gatherers and so they moved, they didn't stay in the same spot and they sort of understood that where they were was sort of their domain at that moment but it could easily be somebody else's later. Mm -hmm. So the idea that land could be claimed and owned by a specific person or a specific group of people um, they had no schema for that. And so this led to a lot of the conflict that we, um, yeah, this led to a lot of the conflict that resulted in hundreds of years later, uh, a couple hundred years later, um, massacres uh, of Native people, the, the Trail of Tears, which was a, um, which was, uh, I would use the word uh, genocide-like, <laughs> Uh, of these forced, people, forced movement. Yeah, it was forced Another movement. Mm-hmm. Yep, it was forced movement, and many, many, many people died uh, on that on that journey. Uh, not their choice, um, and resulted in unfair treaties, uh, warfare, and um, and uh, the creation of the reservation system, where once again forced movement people were forcibly told, you have to exist in this framework of private property. And so this is our property and that is yours. And if you don't accept this, there will be consequences, violence and death primarily, and people being moved onto those spaces. Um, you, were, you, you mentioned a book earlier for people who don't read books. Um, this is specifically about the experience of the Sioux people in the Lakota Sioux. Um, if you want to watch a movie, go watch bury my heart at wounded knee, bury my heart at wounded knee. Um, That is a movie that is, it's not a documentary, but they, they do, they do include journal uh, true journal writings throughout uh, the movie. Um, And it tells the story from the battle of little bighorn uh, Custer's last stand um, all the way to the massacre of wounded knee and tells the story of Lakota people in um, the high points of their oppression from the American government. So uh, United States of America. Um, yeah.
1: yeah, it's interesting because I know that there were times when as America's boundaries expanded, <clears throat> although they had moved some uh, native people groups to reservations and basically said, basically, so this is where you have to be. As it was expanding, they would move them again I so, said, well, actually, we actually want that land. So now you're gonna have to go here.
0: <laughs>
1: so there was this continuous movement the more the United States expanded its territory um of yeah. the native people groups, and I kind of not even respecting the differences in the tribes.
0: Yeah, yeah, for sure. The the that that happened in many different ways. Uh Throughout the throughout the U.S., uh, the one the one that the one that is the most clear in my mind, probably because it involved the Sioux people, the Sioux Nation, uh, which is which are Lakota Sioux, a tribe that I'm a part of, uh, so I've, I'm more familiar. Uh, in 1868, uh, there was a the Treaty of Fort Laramie. Treaty of Fort Laramie was one of the first treaties between the United States government and the uh, the Sioux tribes. Uh, that land gave the Black Hills to these tribes and and created a reservation that included uh, the Black Hills. Um, So this was sort of the way. A couple of decades later, we see uh, there's a gold rush in the Black Hills. People are finding gold there. There's this huge movement of people moving there. And the United States government says, oh, we want this land back. And so they actually forcibly removed natives from the Black Hills, the, uh, the Sioux, uh, Sioux peoples, from the Black Hills to other reservations deeper in the South Dakota, like the Cheyenne River Reservation where my dad was born and they forcibly removed them. What's very interesting, in the early 80s, the, uh, the different tribes, different Sioux tribes all rallied together and they actually sued the United States government uh, and, and went to the Supreme Court and the Supreme Court uh, to say, hey, according to the, the Treaty of Fort Laramie of 1968, or 1868, sorry, uh, that land, the Black Hills is our land and we want it back. And the Supreme Court actually, uh, it, was not, it was not a unanimous decision. There was one, one person that partially dissented, uh, but unanimously decided, yes, that's true. This is rightfully your land but the, what what they ruled was that the United States government had to pay them, all the tribes, what the land was worth at that moment. Mm-hmm. So rather than giving them back the land, they felt like that would be too much work having to, because a lot of private property at that point was owned of, uh, on the Black Hills. So to, to buy all that up and then give it back was going to be a lot of work. So they said, we'll just pay you the sum for it. The, all the, 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 the Sioux tribes, all did not accept the money they all rejected the money because that then would remove their claim to that land mm. And so today i am not sure what the number is it's like a, it's over a billion dollars at this point because it collects interest in the in an account at the savings account the federal reserve um, but there's a billion dollars just sitting there that legally belongs to these tribes but none of but they don't accept it because they still they still want claim to the land that was promised uh, wow. to my people which mm-hmm. is really interesting so being in the black hill spearfishing these certain areas hiking and standing on top on big rocks or whatever looking around, it always brings up some pretty significant emotions for me because I look around and go man, this is hundreds of years, this is where my people like my ancestors lived here and they walked mm-hmm. here, they mm-hmm. traveled over this land and there's a piece of it that I mean, I didn't do it, but there is something that said like man, my people have right this is our land, this is the homeland mm-hmm. that we uh, that we don't get mm-hmm. and, and yeah, and there's some there's some uh, complicated emotions around all of that. Mm-hmm.
1: Wow, I'm sure.
0: Really?
1: I'm going to put uh, that movie, Bury My Heart at Wounded Knee. I'll go ahead and put that in the show notes also. Yeah,
0: great. Very yeah. good movie, grab um, the tissues.
1: There's another book I'm going to put in the show notes. Uh, I haven't started this one yet, but I was interested in it. It's called The Other Slavery. Uh, by Andreas Rezendez. Um, and it is called um, The Uncovered Story of Indian Enslavement in America. So I'm going to put that in the show notes too, because I think that is a, will be an interesting read. Um, and that is
0: really, oh, no, go ahead. And that is really interesting, thinking about the, the other slavery, uh, that we might think about it. I do think there, there are some helpful parallels to make between uh, Native Americans and the experiences that uh, Black people in the United States have experienced, um, because, right? I mean, people have been talking about this for a long time, but, but really, this year has gotten a lot of traction in this idea of uh, systemic or systematic racism, um, as opposed to racism of the heart or attitudes of racism, mm-hmm. um, individual racism, however you say it. Uh, But systematic racism or or maybe the way i like to put it is uh, systematic oppression related to race and ethnicity Mm. um that there are some helpful parallels to make to say you know people who are resistant to that kind of idea of like i don't know if there's what what do you mean systemic racism against black people I, i don't i don't get this idea it's really helpful to go, well let's, well, let's pause this conversation. Let's go talk about Native Americans for a bit. Let's look at the difference between the racism of the heart that people have or don't have against Native Americans. Most people do not hate and are not hateful towards Native American as a people group. They don't look at Native Americans and go, oh, they're, they're dumber, they're less than, they." Uh, I, don't want people, I don't want my children marrying them. Like there isn't this sort of racism of the heart that, that, that is definitely prevalent in different ways um, in our country towards black people. Uh, maybe some, but I've never experienced it. And most of the natives i talk to have never experienced that. But what there is, is there's clearly written laws and things that whether explicitly or not target native Americans and separate them and treat them differently and are used to oppress people who identify in the specific ethnicity. Um, the easiest one is to say, look, there's a reservation which from one perspective is, very, is an honoring thing. I mean, you could twist it to say like, oh, you get sovereign land of your own. That's really nice, except when you consider that all of this land was sovereign land that we all lived in before. And so now that there's these whole people groups that were literally told you have to live here. That is the law. This is the only place that you have independence is in this little space and you're not treated the same. There are specific laws just that just apply to your people um, that is systemic oppression connected to race and ethnicity that does exist and continues to exist in America today. Anybody would say in America, uh, I, I'm pretty sure everybody would say, oh, what happened to the Native Americans was terrible. But what continues to exist today is, is apathy about the ripple effects. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I've heard it said this way, the opposite of love is not hatred, it's apathy.
1: Mm-hmm. I heard that because,
0: too. Yeah. And I think um, most people are okay allowing these people groups, these different tribes throughout our nation, they're uh, they they are content allowing the oppression to continue, to allow them allow these people to be seen as victims, to be understood as victims and to just exist in the victimhood and the ripple effects that 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 have happened. People say, "Oh yeah, I know there's a lot of alcoholism on Native American reservations and drug abuse, and they are right. Suicide is rampant. Uh, substance abuse is rampant on reservations, and they are very right about all those things. But and they say, "Wow, that's really sad. I wish it wasn't that way," without connecting to the fact that that just a few that just a just a few generations back, my great great grandma lived in a teepee and was forced to move and change her name, <laughs> and change her name to Emily. So mm-hmm. She had a European name. That's my great great grandma.
1: Mm-hmm. That's not
0: that far back. Like these, my my dad used to listen to her play the piano. Like mm-hmm. this is this is a woman who who grew up in teepees and then was moved and told to live on this plot of land. Mm-hmm. Um, so we can. It's really easy to begin to trace back through my lineage and through my uh, ancestors, just a couple generations, and say, and that's where things started to fall apart, and that's where that happened, and here's where these. Hopelessness became more prevalent, and here's where abuse happened here, and here's how this whole worldview became victimhood because why they were victims of uh of, of systemic oppressive laws. Mm. Uh I'm getting a little riled up here, but uh <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you have a right uh, to. Yeah, so the apathy that people experience is um is real, yeah. And uh and that's really sad and heartbreaking that people are content to allow these oppressive systems to exist with that being said once people realize oh my gosh there are oppressive systems I can see them I see how this works this exists in our system it becomes a lot easier than just to say you know maybe that is true for black people maybe some of those existed for black people and as people begin to look there they definitely see that that's real
1: as well yeah Yeah, when you were talking about the um abuse like alcoholism, drug abuse, suicide, um, it leads me to think about generational trauma just how many generations have been traumatized uh, generation upon generation upon generation. And so it just becomes a, 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 a cycle, a spiral. Like this is what we know and that the generation from your great grandmother's hands passed on to your grandmother's hands passed on to your father passed on to you so um and that's what i think people people don't want to grapple with either is the generation part of it and like you said that's not that far not that far removed
0: it is it 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 really is It, it it is interesting and i don't want to spend too much time on this but it is interesting to to just walk back and and be able to see to see my my great uncle we were a year and a half ago I think now my great uncle uh, we, we a year and a half ago we were on the uh Cheyenne River Reservation where my dad was born my great uncle is still there and we were talking with him and uh and he he, he, uh, I can't remember exactly what he does, but he, some, it's some sort of trade that he is. And maybe he builds fences, I think. Um, and he, uh, he said he's trying to find somebody that he could get apprentice and teach, take over for him, because he's getting pretty old. And he said, it's hard to find anyone who wants to work. He says, and the reason is because the, 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 young, the youngest generation, my generation, their parents didn't work. Mm. Um, And the reason because of that is because their parents didn't work. Mm. And the reason because of that is because their parents didn't work. Mm. And the reason because of that was because their parents, the only work they were allowed to do, that they were given to do was farm. And they were hunter-gatherers and they didn't know how to farm, and so when told to live on this crappy land, that's not very good for farming anyway, and told, mm-hmm. Hey, you can start farming. These people said, we don't know how to do that. Mm. And then you had these settlers come in that said, Hey, I'll buy that land. I'll farm it and you can work for me. Mm. And they said, okay, that's fine. At least that's something Like, because I don't know what to do with this. And they sold a the land and in just a just a few years after the Cheyenne River Reservation was made, most, almost most, if not, I'm pretty sure all the land was owned uh, by white settlers that didn't live, <laughs> that, that, uh, that, that weren't native at all. Uh, many of them don't even, not even living on the reservation, just owning the land, the farmland. Um, it's really easy to see then that all of these people don't really know how to work don't mm. really know how to farm, have no jobs, nowhere to work because no one is really settling on the reservation because why would they? Mm. And, and now we can really see, oh, these kids didn't learn a trade. They didn't learn a job. They didn't learn work ethic because their parents, most of them weren't working mm. And another generation. And now here we are a, few, a couple generations more away and nobody wants to work, especially because now the government subsidizes uh their lack of work through Hmm. policies of handouts and those kind of pieces um it has just continued to perpetuate the cycle of like I don't need to work and I don't see anyone else doing it I don't even I don't even know anyone who works
1: I was gonna say don't even know how how? would I
0: yeah I don't even have there's no skills there's no skills there's no opportunity there's nothing here for and so it's not like it's not like Lincoln Nebraska somebody's like I just don't want to go get a job which Anyone could go work at McDonald's or Runza or Wendy's or, mm-hmm. or, you know, Dieter Foundry or something. Anyone could go get a job there if they needed to. It's not like that. There's no opportunity and there's no one else working. And so, why, how would I, how would I as a child, then a teenager, ever learn?
1: Mm. Wow. That was profound. <laughs> wow. That's pretty sad. That's an example of the ripple effect. Yeah. Well, another thing I wanted to touch on is the story that you shared with me about what's going on with the pandemic on mm-hmm. reservations, and um, so I kind of wanted to dig into that a little bit because I was kind of I was blown away um, by some of the stories that you shared. Um, I-, I wanted to talk about not just the pandemic, but There was this slew of suicides happening within the young people
0: uh,
1: on the reservations due to a social media challenge. Yeah. Um, Can you talk a little bit about that?
0: Yeah, so let me give a little bit of background. So uh, Middle Cross Church, the church that I work at, um, for the last few years, we have partnered with a a woman who lives on the Omaha reservation, the uh, Omaha tribe is uh, about two hours north of Lincoln, uh, a little bit more than that, uh, Thurston County, just south of Sioux City. Uh, Most people don't know that there's a Native American reservation that close to Lincoln even, Uh, but the Omaha reservation is there and uh, there's a woman living there who um, has doing her best to like invest in that community and that sort of a thing. She just recently moved uh, off the reservation back to Texas, uh, which is very sad for her and for us and the whole story, but our church has partnered with her and been going up and, and doing different uh, ministry and engagement uh, with that community and trying to invest in that community. One of the, the first ways and the primary ways is we bring up uh, we bring up uh, clothes and do kind of a clothing drive. Um, it is not our long-term plan to just go up and give clothes to these people. We're trying to build relationships, spend time, hang out with them throughout the day, uh, make connections with people. Um, hoping to invest more deeply and intensely in, it, in, in support of this woman that was living there for this time. So that's kind of our background. And so I, I have a lot of more experience recently with this reservation. Um, and yeah, in March, early March, 2020, uh, there was a social media um, challenge that was going around. Uh, around specifically for the teenagers and the young people of their community, um, that was is very dark and uh, so trigger warning. Um, but it it was a challenge for them to hang themselves, and the, and the kind of idea was whoever hung the longest is my understanding um, won the challenge because that means they were the loneliest because it took them the longest to be found. Mm. Um, so a lot of teenagers, uh, attempted, I think there were, my mind is blinking now on the actual numbers. There were maybe three or four successful, um, suicides in that week. Mm -hmm. Um, but a lot, a lot like a, like a double digits, 20, 30 something students attempted in that week. Um, and when you think about the population, uh, it is not that big. Mm -hmm. It's it's not that big. I, I, I remember doing the math and, uh, and comparing it to Lincoln and it was an entire high school, Mm -hmm. entire, one of the, one of our high schools all attempted to commit suicide in the span of a week. Mm -hmm. Um, That is crazy.
1: Yeah,
0: That's crazy to think of. But that would be, I mean, our our entire city would flip upside down if that happened. Mm, Um, And the reservation uh, really did. It did flip upside down in pretty crazy ways. I mean, they really, uh, the Omaha people, banded together in some really beautiful ways Mm. to to try to bring some hope to these communities. Once again, like I said, um, I think the way God built humans is part of God's plan was that humans would one have a relationship with God and they would receive all we would receive all that we are intended to comfort, security, all that from Him. We were made for that. Second, we were made for a relationship with one another, where we love one another and, and and he built a family. That was his plan to have a family. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the other part of his plan was that we would help him make his creation thrive and he gave us he wanted to build us with purpose. And so you can imagine on reservations, um, with a lot uh, on reservations where there is not a lot of security and there is not a lot of um, comfort and there is not a lot of love, um, people are hurting and where people are numbing themselves with substance abuse, uh, with different substances and those kind of things. Uh, th- there's not strong family units. Mm-hmm. Um, and without people working because not having the capacity to generationally having all that trauma, um, there's not a lot of purpose either. And so all the things that humans were made for, there's a significant lack of that on the reservations uh, in different ways and because of that, um, there's a lot of hopelessness and pain especially mm-hmm. for young people who are just trying to figure out where their place is in the world and that resulted in this campaign in some in some way and and there were some awesome leaders on the Omaha reservation that stepped up and to, to fight this and combat this and I got to go down there and, and help in some ways super honored to be able to be invited to come. Uh, help in a little way that I was able to. Um, that was happening. And then a week and a half later, everything in the state of Nebraska was closed because of COVID. So that was when that all hit. Um, so it was it, 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 was, uh, it was a lot of hopelessness and pain and bonding together that led straight into this time of chaos where everything was shut down. And it's really interesting uh, that on the reservations, COVID-19 had some pretty substantive impact because um, due to lack of funding and, and, and lack of opportunity and, and lack, of, uh, skilled, lack of skilled labor, uh, there were most reservations did not have the medical infrastructure to handle COVID-19 the way that most of the rest of the United States of America was able to handle it. Mm-hmm. Um, so a lot of our efforts in this process have been to try to keep hospitals from being overwhelmed. Mm-hmm. Well, that threshold for most reservations is a lot smaller. And so, uh, really the, the, the really good example or bad example depending how you view it uh, a, a really clear example is the navajo reservation um mm. in arizona uh, i don't have any of the numbers memorized i don't, to, I don't remember any of it but it's it, it's probably the biggest breakout in america happened on the navajo reservation a lot of deaths so um go look that up and and have your mind blown uh because that is pretty crazy and so for the Omaha reservation, they saw that as a big possibility for themselves. And they said, oh my gosh, like we have minimal, minimal medical infrastructure. We got to take this very seriously. And they went into a very uh, severe lockdown, even creating checkpoints. Uh, I'm not sure what the exact nature of the checkpoints are, I just don't really know, uh, but I just do, they, they created checkpoints on the, the primary entry points into the reservation to say like, hey, what's your business here? Because if you don't, if you don't live here, you don't get to come on. Because they were just, it was that serious for them. Because they knew what they were capable of doing. Mm-hmm. Now, at this point uh, in uh, October, mid-October, when we are uh, recording this, there has been some shift. There has been some more support, and they have gotten some federal funding and some state funding that took a long time for them to get. But they finally got some. They're able to to give themselves a little bit uh, more of a handle on this. Uh, so that's really awesome. They're they're champion they're being champions, kind of figuring out how to navigate this for their uh people really well. Um, but it is really crazy to think about like just two hours away from where I live, there are people who don't have the same access to um to medical support in the way that we take for granted that most of when we say, Oh, in America, this is generally the access, uh the uh, medical access that people have, say, no, there are pockets of America that definitely do not have that same old access. And those pockets are called reservations. Mm. Um, and it's important for us to recognize that.
1: Uh, around the United States, it's happening also. Other pockets, what it's happening. Also.
0: That's quite true. See, that's the thing. Most people wouldn't know that about reservations, I do. And so it makes me wonder, oh yeah, what are all the other things that I have no idea about as well? Right. A significant uh, poverty right. that exists um, just in my backyard that I have no idea about. Mm-hmm. It has to be there because.
1: Yeah, because if you know what you know about what's happening in the reservations and what else don't you know, yeah. not what's happening in other places. Yeah. Um, well, one thing I wanted to do is um, I wanted to find a way that we can help them. Oh yeah. I don't know in this if this COVID thing, or even with your your um, clothing drive, because I know that you said that you weren't sure about the clothing drive this year because they're not really crazy about people coming on the reservation. Yeah. <laughs> because of COVID, so yeah. that kind of your because you you said you guys go biannually right you we, go twice we each? go three
0: times a year three
1: times a year okay
0: three times a year so uh so yes yeah, so the the spring clothing uh drive that we normally do did not happen for uh covid related reasons obviously uh the fall drive is not happening actually in just this just this coming weekend uh there is going to be uh a small group of people heading there and doing kind of a drop off of just some clothes to some of our liaisons mm-hmm. uh, on the reservation, our, our current liaisons. Uh, that way to sort of giving them um, some resources of clothing that they could then utilize and give people um, that they find uh, that would be helpful for. So we're gonna do that uh, this weekend. There's gonna be some people giving um, clothing this weekend. So that's cool since we can't go up there this fall but the other time that we go up there is we go up there uh, in mid-December before Christmas, before school gets out. And we are actually have the opportunity to go into their schools, always bring hats and gloves and scarves to the students there. So we actually have a partnership with the superintendent uh, of the, of the Walt Hill Public Schools. Uh, Walthill is one of the towns on the reservation, the largest one. So we can go in there and we can actually do that. We're not sure if that's going to happen this year. Um, but our plan is we want to bless the school and the students somehow and so we are, we are currently as of when this was recorded working with the superintendent to say what what can we do can we bring hats and gloves we're not sure yet uh but but what could we do um by the time this by the time this drops so as uh, as the as the listeners are listening <laughs> uh <laughs> uh there, there's, there, there, there is going to be some instructions, some way that you could at least support uh, the work that, that we're doing through Middle Cross, okay. uh, Middle Cross Church this way. So there will be some answer to that, that some information about that available at that point, I'm sure. Um, but uh, other, other ways to support um, the reservation, it's sort, of, it's sort of silly, but go there. Mm-hmm. Go there. Spend money there. Um, there's not a ton of places to spend money, but just go to the gas station that is also the grocery store, <laughs> and uh, that also has a tiny little uh, deli cook place. Buy some pizza, um, and just just get to be there. Just like walk around, drive around, um, and just experience it take the drive um it really will it will really change your life forever hmm. if you live in i mean i guess if you don't live in nebraska i'm sure you could find a uh, reservation near you as well but if you live in lincoln or omaha or in the nebraska area go to the omaha reservation and just experience it um educate yourself these are great for steps to support um, because really there has to be there has to be a general shift in our populace away from apathy mm-hmm. towards real love, concern and compassion. Mm-hmm. And once that happens, then we can actually begin to discuss systemic shifts and changes. But as long as we are apathetic and content with the status quo of systemic oppressive laws related to race and ethnicity, specifically by Native Americans, uh, there's like the hand-me-outs of, the hand-me- the, the hand-me-outs of, uh, of some clothes isn't going to do much um, mm-hmm. long-term, that mm-hmm. hopelessness that, that the teenagers experienced in March will continue mm-hmm. and will uh, continue to impact lives. And, uh, and I don't have the answers, I'm not the expert. Like, I don't, I don't know what the answers are. That's mm-hmm. the hard part, but what, the first step is there has to be a general shift in, in our worldview about Native Americans, about reservations, um, so that we can actually collectively begin to brainstorm, look to the experts and say, hey, help us come up with solutions and let's get on board.
1: Mm. The apathy. Because um, out of sight, out of mind, a lot of times, and a lot of the reservations are out of sight, um, but just to know that the, the, they are people there made in God's image. Yep. And... Um, not having the same type of structural work opportunities or even learn that part really struck me uh there that they don't even know how to Uh, so it's more than just a um like you said alex more than just a donation here donation there although that is very helpful Mm -hmm. it's a finding a way to change the system
0: and, and I will, I, and I want to add one more thing that's really important. So uh, I'm Native American. I'm biracial. I'm 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 Lakota, um, but I am born and raised in Lincoln, Nebraska. I I had the the immense privilege by the grace of God because of the 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 risk that my grandma took to not be born on a reservation, and that changed me. That that changed my life forever. Like I stand on the backs of my, my dad and my grandma don't who made those choices that allowed me to not have those experiences. I'm ever grateful for that. So I can fall into this trap, even as a Native American, I can fall into this trap. And this, so I give this warning, not only to to, to y'all, but also to myself, because of the poverty and because of the pain that they've experienced, we as a people need to shift towards compassion. Mm. and empowering as well not sadness and grieving mm. the time for sadness and grieving passed a long time ago we didn't we missed it mm. we missed it as a majority culture of americans we missed the time to, to grieve the grieve the atrocities that happened to the native americans um if you're if that's how the posture you want to take at this point i'm not going to say you shouldn't uh but the time for grieving has passed and if we just grieve then we'll just continue to see native americans as victims that need saving Mm. native americans are not victims that need saving native americans are human beings made in god's image that need to be connected to him connected to one another and given purpose and called into that
1: Mm, because they
0: have all the capacity that you and i have they have it all they just don't have the opportunity uh the opportunities relationally and economically that we do Mm -hmm. and so we need to find ways to open those doors for them get out of the way and allow them to move forward Mm -hmm. and that's what it's really going to look like and so they're not they're not people that need to be saved uh, economically or spiritually so many churches go on to reservations and preach the gospel and evangelize and begin to tell people about jesus and And our friend, Karen, who lived there many years on on the Omaha reservation, said the native Omaha people have been evangelized to death. Evangelized to death. Churches come on and do their BBSs every year and say, man, we're doing so good things because we come on and we say good things about Jesus or we bring them clothes like we're doing or we do a food drive or we do we give them these things. We put on this big concert, whatever it is. And we say good things, and then we leave and say, we did a good thing. Mm. People don't need more information about that. They don't need more economic su- like hand-me-outs. What they need is true, real support. People that actually want to go and invest relationally and invest economically in their communities and, and, and giving them the tools, the opportunities to take the steps that they are capable and desire to take. Grant mm. done. Mm. <laughs>
1: Well, that's good. Yes, I know you had mentioned discipleship. Yeah. That they've been evangelized, but they need discipleship.
0: Yeah. to really like Omaha Reservation. Yeah, that 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 was that has been said by people who live there. Like everybody there has quote unquote said the said the Jesus prayer <laughs> ten times over. Hmm. Um, they need they need spiritual support. That's discipleship. And that really can only happen when people live there. So uh my wife and I have spent the last couple of years very praying really intentionally to say, okay, well, who's ever going to move on to the Omaha reservation to intentionally disciple these people that live there and and be with them. Mm -hmm. And if not us, then who? Mm -hmm. We spent a lot of time praying and saying, God, would would you want us to do that? And, And at this point, no doors have opened that direction. And we felt pretty at peace around the idea that not time yet, we continue to ask because it's not us, then who?
1: Mm. Yeah. Well, Alex, this was a very enlightening conversation. It was actually a really tough conversation, to be honest. Um, yeah, I mean, like you said, it's, for me, it's, it's sad to hear, and I do grieve for them, but I like the way you said, the time has passed now as we are as a country anyway, now what are we gonna do about it? Mm-hmm. Now that you know, what action are you gonna take? Yeah. So, um, How are we going to help them, empower them um, to step into a purpose for their lives, to see a purpose for their lives and then to step into that purpose? Mm. Well, that is my takeaway. I don't know what other people's takeaway is, but that's my takeaway. and That'll be something I'll be praying about now.
0: Yeah, that's good.
1: Well, Alex, yeah. I want to thank you very much for taking time to um, sit with me and have this conversation and um, open our eyes to some things that we either have closed our eyes to or have never seen. Mm-hmm. And I know it's very, uh, it's personal. Anytime i talk about something like this, it's personal. And so I just want to thank you so much for sharing so much of yourself
0: yeah. with us. Yeah. Yeah, well, I like I said, we all we all live on the backs of other people who have come before us, and uh, and so to to share myself with other people, I'm inviting inviting other people to to the, 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 the stand a little bit on my back too. So I get to share my story. Then and now we're we're building a, a stronger base as we all connect as we share stories. And so I'm I'm honored that you asked, and and I encourage people don't just don't just let my story be the story that you hear. As it relates to these issues, like there are people who are smarter than me, who have more lived experience than me, who uh, who <laughs> who are uh, older than me, <laughs> uh, yeah, who can speak about young. these things. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm a, I'm a young pup, uh, <laughs> and, uh, so uh, yeah. Continue to continue to enter into this conversation that hopefully maybe I opened your eyes to because it goes far beyond just a punk kid from Lincoln, Nebraska. So.
1: There you go. I agree. Thank you.
0: Thank you.
1: I hope you found this interview impactful and that it motivates you to take action. If you'd like to join Alex in showing love and compassion to those living on the Omaha reservation, you can donate hats, gloves, and scarves that will go to the children on the reservation. Donations can be sent to Middle Cross Church at 2600 North 70th Street. Of course, here in Lincoln, Nebraska, if you're local, you can just drop them by. You can contact Alex through email at russoalex20 at gmail.com. That's R O U S S E A U A L E X 20 at gmail.com. I'll make sure that's in the show notes. Also, please consider if you have a business or a skill that you're willing to teach or invest in the Omaha Reservation community to give them an opportunity to contribute and thrive on their own, please consider doing so. For more information on books discussed and the movie Alex suggested, click on the links in the show notes. One of the books, The Other Slavery by Andres Resendez. Another one is... An Indigenous People's History of the United States by Roxanne Dunbar-Ortiz. She also has a version of that book for young people, Bury My Heart at Wounded Knee Movie, and also check out a YouTube video uh, called, We Are Still Here, 400 Years of Wampanoag History. That is the tribe that is noted to have hosted the first Thanksgiving. on iTunes and subscribe to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your pods. Instagram at Rabrina Reddle and our Getting Real Immersed in Truth podcast Facebook page. Beyond Measure. This has been a difficult year, and I know just regular life has been difficult, and for some, the holidays can be just as difficult. If you're struggling with substance abuse, please call the National Hotline at 1-800-662-4357. Once again, beyond measure, please. If you feel like you want to hurt yourself, please tell someone. You can also call the National Suicide Hotline at 1-800-273-8255. Produced by me, Rubrina Rettle, and Handcrafted Studios editor-producer, Michael Coffey. Original music by Handcrafted Studios composer, Michael Coffey. Celebrating Thanksgiving, I hope you enjoy time. Uh, either virtually with family or with your immediate family, and that you enjoy your uh, meals and your times together. And then also that we will practice gratitude by not just saying what we're grateful for, but also giving to show our gratitude. And seeing, just so you know that. So keep your grit up by getting real, immersed in truth.